All right, let's do it. Let's find our places. And we will get ready to get started. As you find your places, go ahead and take your Bibles. You can open them to the book of 2 Corinthians. We'll be starting a series here, getting into this book for the foreseeable future. Today, as we are celebrating Father's Day, this is a rather odd topic, actually, as we begin 2 Corinthians, as you'll see, but hopefully it'll be encouraging by the time we're done. But I do want to start us out just to consider a question that all of us have considered at some point in our lives for certain, and that is, why do bad things happen to good people? I know that the Bible character Job would like to know that, right? And a lot of times we would like to know that too. And not only why do bad things happen to good people, but if you're a good person, you follow the Lord, you may wonder often, like David in the Psalms, why do good things happen to bad people? And so I want you to just listen and follow along. I'm going to read the first portion of Psalm 73 as David is wrestling with, actually, this idea of what is going on with the world. And I thought it was fair for us to consider as we consider what's going on with the world and as a Christian in our viewpoint. We're going to start Psalm 73, verse 3. For I was envious at the foolish when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. For there are no bands in their death, but their strength is firm. They're not in trouble as other men, neither are they plagued like other men. Therefore pride compasseth them about as a chain, violence overcometh them as a garment. Their eyes stand out with fatness, they have more than heart could wish. They are corrupt and speak wickedly concerning oppression, and they speak loftily. They set their mouth against the heavens, their tongue walketh through the earth. Therefore his people return hither, and waters of a full cup are wrung out to them. And they say, How doth God know? And is there knowledge in the Most High? Behold, these are the ungodly who prosper in the world. They increase in riches. Verily, I have cleansed my heart in vain and washed my hands in innocency. For all the day long have I been plagued and chastened. Every morning, if I say I will speak thus, behold, I shall offend against the generation of thy children. When I thought to know this, it was too painful for me. We'll stop there for just a second because the idea is, is that when you look around the world and it seems as though the wicked and the ungodly and the vile and the manipulators are getting away with it. The Christian wonders, why am I striving to live godly? But the answer and the turning point of this psalm, and you can read the rest of it on your own, is verse 17. Until I went into the sanctuary of God, then understood I their end. You see, there's pleasure in sin for a season, but that season comes to an end. And there's trouble, oftentimes, trouble for the Christian, for the one who wants to do right. But you know what? That's just for a season, too. So we're going to talk about a life of ministry. We're talking about 2 Corinthians. It's all about the minister and the ministry. And life in ministry is tough. And you better have the right perspective or you're going to fall away. 
And the right perspective comes from what we are doing right here this morning, and that is to enter into the sanctuary of God, into the very presence of the Lord. 2 Corinthians is a glance into Paul's life and Paul's personal ministry. Paul is the model for us in our lives, in our ministry, and, and Paul refers to his life and ministry in 2 Corinthians often as very negative. And so to start off your notes, I have this statement that biblical effective ministry inevitably includes suffering. And I made the word for you to fill out inevitably because it's unavoidable. If you're going to have biblical ministry, if you are going to have effective ministry, if you are actually going to affect change in the lives of other people, there's no getting out of the fact that you yourself are going to suffer. So I've titled this initiating message into the text of 2 Corinthians, The Ministry of Suffering, which I realize is an odd choice for Father's Day. <laughs> but we're going to turn the corner on this thing, so hang in there. But I titled it The Ministry of Suffering, not because suffering is your ministry, but because true ministry requires suffering. But it only requires suffering because it is the thing that brings about a greater good as a result. Now, some examples of suffering that you might experience in your life. Well, just as humans on this planet, well, we suffer just like anybody or everybody suffers in different, to different degrees, right? We all suffer from time to time sickness and prejudice and theft and mistreatment and poverty and loss and divorce and death of people we love and I mean the Bible says that the rain falls on the just and the unjust amen but as Christians as Christians who attempt to stand for truth well you're going to suffer for righteousness the Bible says when you stand for truth against sin when you stand for truth against error when you stand for truth against this present evil world well then you're going to suffer for it Galatians chapter 5 and verse number 11, Paul says this, And I, brethren, if I yet preach circumcision, which is what he didn't preach anymore. That was the Old Testament law. That's what the Judaizers wanted him to preach. If I just went along with the crowd, why do I yet suffer persecution? In other words, I wouldn't be suffering persecution if I just went along with everybody else. But because I'm telling you the truth, well, of necessity, I suffer persecution. It's called the offense of the cross. So just clear off a space in your mind and settle it once and for all. Jesus Christ suffered. The Apostle Paul suffered. And you will suffer too. That's just the way it is. But we're going to learn today, allowing the Holy Spirit... Lord willing, to teach us, we'll learn today how to respond to it biblically. So now in 2 Corinthians, we looked at the first couple of verses last week. We're jumping in at verse number 3, and we'll go down to verse number 7. Blessed be God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforteth us in all our tribulation, that we may be able to comfort them which are in any trouble, by the comfort wherewith we ourselves are comforted of God. 
For as the sufferings of Christ abound in us, so also our, so our consolation also aboundeth by Christ. And whether we be afflicted, it's for your consolation and salvation, which is effectual in the enduring of the same sufferings which we also suffer. Or whether we be comforted, it is for your consolation and salvation. And our hope of you is steadfast, knowing that as ye are partakers of the sufferings, so shall ye be also of the consolation. Let's pray. So, Heavenly Father, we have no problem understanding the idea that life is hard, it's unfair, and we suffer just as human beings. And many of us already understand that as Christians striving to stand for truth and confronting sin, well, life is extra hard sometimes. So we get the suffering part. We really do. We understand that it happens. We don't love it, but we do now want to learn how to best have the right perspective, how to best understand it, how to recognize, how to receive the comfort that you offer to us so that we can then minister comfort to others. Lord, without your Holy Spirit teaching us, we have no hope whatsoever, and we will certainly fall in our own pity and sorrow in the difficulties that surround us. But Lord, with your mind guiding us, we will stand and we will triumph in Jesus' name. Amen. So there's several things we're going to look at. We'll spend the bulk of our time on the first one, and then we'll get through the others as well. The first thing we're going to look at is the preparation. The preparation. We're talking about ministry. We're talking about how we can be effective ministers of the Lord Jesus Christ. And, well, this verse number three begins by introducing God in a particular way. God is everything, and he's got so many different attributes, but... As he's about to teach us something, he's going to emphasize the specific attributes of God that we need to focus on while we're about to go through what it is we're going through. And it says, Blessed be God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. Now that introduction is important. It's important because God himself is the one who ultimately does the preparing of our lives for ministry. Amen. I mean, that's what we see in Philippians chapter 1 and verse number 6, being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you. Who is that? Well, that's God. He hath begun a good work in you at the moment of your salvation. And he is the same one who will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. The day of Jesus Christ is the rapture of the church. That means that God began a good work in you, God is ever working a good work through you, and God is going to continue to complete that work until the day of the rapture of the church. He does those things according to these aspects of his character that are revealed in, these verse, in this verse 3. Let's look again at it. The Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so we'll see today that there's going to be a, a fatherly aspect to how this is presented. Then it goes on and it says, the father of mercies. You know what mercy is. Mercy is when God does not give to us the negative things that we deserve. Right? It's by his mercy that we're not destroyed. Right? So we could say the father of mercies is God have, being merciful to us and not giving us the judgment we deserve. But in the midst of trials and tribulations, God's mercy will spare us from ultimate demise in the midst of the tribulation, he'll sustain us. And he is then the God of all comfort, which is the subject continuing through these verses we'll see in more detail. So in order to get through this, we need to, as usual, define some terms so you understand exactly what they mean. You know how God uses them 
and why he uses them and what he's trying to communicate to us. So the word comfort is a compound word coming out of the Latin and English, right? So comfort has two parts, com, which actually is older, which is, has now been changed to con, meaning with, right? Con in Spanish, with. And then fort is a word meaning strength. So comfort literally means with strength. That's what it means. And that's what you should understand because when we can replace weakness, which is what we sense and feel while we are going through the mill, while life is hard, while we are going through troubles and tribulations and sorrows and afflictions, we feel ourselves weak and beaten. Comfort is what you feel, if you want to refer to it that way, when strength comes to the rescue. Comfort is what God offers. God offers strength in place of weakness. This word comfort is used most frequently in 2 Corinthians out of all the books in the New Testament. In fact, it's six times in this short passage that we have right here. Now there's a similar word to comfort and it's the word consolation. And the word consolation appears four times in these short verses that we have right here. Five times in total in 2 Corinthians. Again, more frequently in 2 Corinthians than any other book in all the Bible. Comfort and consolation. God has this for us. What's the difference between comfort and consolation? Well, they're virtually the same word. In fact, in some instances, it's the exact same word from the Greek, whatever, that is translated in some places comfort and translated in other places as consolation. Not all the time. But the difference is consolation most typically is used with the context of looking forward. So comfort we receive in the moment, consolation is something that typically is looking forward, implying that there's a hope for the future. So for example, we see verse number 7, And our hope of you is steadfast, knowing that as ye are partakers of the sufferings right now, so shall ye be also of the consolation. Looking forward. So it should be no surprise to us that the book emphasizing personal ministry also speaks more of comfort than any other book in the Bible. Any other book in the Bible. And that's because, this is in your notes, the work of God in us is to comfort us in all our tribulation. That's verse number four. It's to comfort us. That's God's work in us. Because as you're going through it, you need God to be preparing you. You need Him to be working in you first so that you can be the kind of person He can use to ultimately be a minister to other people. And it's interesting that it says that He will comfort us in all our tribulation. That must mean that there's various kinds of tribulation. Amen? And that's what we'll see as we come through this. So really there's five different ways that I've extracted from the scriptures that you can be comforted. Let's begin to go through them. Number one, by the Lord's coming. By the Lord's coming, that is salvation. It is sometimes referred to in just a more physical manner as deliverance or rescue. Okay, so when we go back to the Old Testament, for example, and we're talking about the deliverance of Israel, sometimes the word salvation of Israel is used. And sometimes it just meant physically he'll be delivered from their enemies. They'll be delivered in battle. They'll be delivered in different ways, right? Now, but salvation for us has an entirely different meaning. It's, it's individual and it's eternal and it's spiritual and we understand that. 
But back in the Old Testament, I told you that 2 Corinthians had the, the usage of the word comfort more than any other book in the New Testament, whether you caught me saying it that way differently or not. But in the entire Bible, there's one book that has many more usages than even 2 Corinthians. It's the book of Isaiah. And the book of Isaiah, just for your review, has as its theme the deliverance or the salvation of the Lord for the nation of Israel. That's the theme, and, I, and I, don't, I didn't actually write it down, but I believe it's about 15 times the word is used throughout that book. Now, if you're not aware, the book of Isaiah is a masterful piece of literature. It's an amazing book in the Bible. and The, the book of Isaiah is often referred to like a, a snapshot of the entire revelation of the Scriptures. How do you say that? Well, for example, the book of Isaiah has 66 chapters. The entire Bible has 66 books. The book of Isaiah has a very distinct break after chapter 39 and going into chapter 40 because the Old Testament has 39 books and the New Testament goes from 40 to 66, 27 books. And what we find is this concept of the deliverance of the Lord and this concept of the comfort that's offered to Israel is most frequently used from chapters 40 to 66, which would parallel a New Testament type of an application. And so let me just show you coming right out of the gate as Isaiah chapter 40 begins this new section in the book as it refers to, for example, a comparison transitioning into the New Testament. Isaiah 40, 1 through 3, right out of the gate, comfort ye, comfort ye, my people, saith your God. Speak ye comfortably to Jerusalem and cry unto her that her warfare is accomplished, that her iniquity is pardoned, for she hath received of the Lord's hand double for all her sins. Verse number 3, the voice of him that crieth in the wilderness, prepare ye the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. And if you took the time to cross-reference Mark chapter 1 and verse number 3, you would find that that is the prophecy of Isaiah fulfilled in the person of John the Baptist, the forerunner of the coming of the Lord. In the very chapter of the book that would portray the very introduction to the New Testament story in the coming of the Lord. So we see this issue of comfort, and it's associated with salvation. It's associated with deliverance. You can look in many other places. Let me just give you one other reference to reinforce it. Isaiah 52 and verse number 9. Break forth into joy. Sing together, ye waste places of Jerusalem. They're going through trouble. Their places are wasted, right? For the Lord hath comforted his people. He hath redeemed Jerusalem. So nationally speaking, as the people of God, the people of Israel, Israel's salvation comes at the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Peter knew this. Peter was preaching this message even in the book of Acts in chapter number 3 and verse numbers 19 and 20 where Peter preaching says, Repent ye therefore and be converted that your sins may be blotted out. Now this is a message to his immediate audience which were Jews and Jewish proselytes. The you in that context is Israel, collectively. Repent ye therefore and be converted that your sins may be blotted out. When? When the times of refreshing shall come from the presence of the Lord. And he shall send Jesus Christ, which was before preached unto you. Now this is after the death, burial, and resurrection of the first coming of Jesus Christ. They're looking forward to the second coming of Jesus Christ for the national salvation 
of Israel. Why do I bring all that up? I just want to point out to you that this concept throughout the scriptures and in the most frequent reference of comfort, and also for us, as we'll see in just a moment, is going to be one of the ways we receive comfort is through the coming of the Lord. It's through the coming of the Lord. It's through salvation. So for us as Christians in the church age, we'll go to a church age epistle, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse number 9. For God hath not appointed us to wrath, hallelujah, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with him. Wherefore, comfort yourselves together and edify one another, even as also you do. Because the idea that we have received salvation from the coming of the Lord and his death on Calvary and our accepting of him as our personal Lord and Savior... Well, that's a comfort. That's a comfort. I mean, isn't it a great comfort to you knowing that regardless of whatever the trial or persecution, unfair affliction is cast upon you, whatever prejudice, whatever judgment, whatever fear, whatever insecurity is going on in your life, that God will never leave you or forsake you? That he has guaranteed to you eternal salvation, that you couldn't lose your salvation even if you wanted to. Isn't that a comfort to you? Isn't it a comfort to you to know that all of the evil doings that are going on in the world will one day have their day? And all of the good that you have stro striven, striven to do, whatever word, my wife will... Okay, sorry, honey. That will also be rewarded one day. Forget the grammar, that was a good word. That's why Paul can say in Romans 8, 18, For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that will be revealed in us. Amen. At the coming of the Lord. That's a comfort. That's a comfort. Number two, the Lord's cohabitation. That's the Holy Ghost. You know that the Lord cohabitates your body with you, don't you? You know that. You're not the only one living in there. Does that sound weird? That's awesome. 1 Corinthians 3.16, Know ye not that you're the temple of God, and that the Spirit of God dwelleth in you? Well, when that Spirit of God comes to dwell in you at the moment that you receive Jesus Christ as your Savior, it's interesting that we have a reference in John 14.16. He's got a name. And I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another, capital C, oh, the Comforter, that he may abide with you forever. God lives inside you and is with you every moment of every day. It is the greatest thing in the world. You are never, ever alone. He's with you wherever you go and whatever you do. And I know for some of you that maybe that's not such good news. Yes, sir, that means that even in those moments you wish nobody was around, he's with you. But generally speaking, we would say that's a comfort. Generally speaking, we would say that's a great thing. It's only not a great thing if you're in sin. You've always got the Lord with you. Again, whether you like it or not. And who cares if some man rejects you, if the Lord accepts you? That's a great comfort, amen? That's the indwelling 
spirit of Jesus Christ taking up residence in your mortal body. You know what we call that? We call that the living word. That's what we call it. John 14, 26, a few verses down in that chapter. But the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance, whatsoever I have said unto you. So the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, he has been given the very name, the Comforter. Why should we ever be without comfort? Because he's been given to us for several things. The ministry of the Holy Spirit is vast, but among them is to teach us what God has said. That takes us into the third point, the Lord's communication. That's the Word of God. Psalm 119, 50, This is my comfort in my affliction, for thy word hath quickened me. The proud have had me greatly in derision. Yet have I not declined from thy law. I remembered thy judgments of old, O Lord, and have comforted myself. God's word is a comfort to us. The promises of God as he has expressed them to us, it just, it just calms our heart. It brings comfort. It, it is with strength that we can gain when we feel ourselves weak quick comparison of a couple of places in Romans, starting in Romans 15. So this would be the written word of God. The written word. So we've talked about the living word, Jesus Christ, his spirit dwelling inside of you. Now we have the scriptures, the written word of God. Romans 15 and verse number 4. For whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning that we through patience, and here it is, comfort of the scriptures might have hope. Man, the scriptures bring comfort. And when you're going through tough times and when life is hitting you hard and when you're having to patiently endure the hardness that's going through your life, certainly in the context of ministry, certainly in the context of standing for what's right in the midst of a world that doesn't care, man, you know what? You're going to get comfort from the Scriptures. That's where you're going to get them. You're going to get comfort from the Scriptures. Now, it's interesting because you can make this correlation with the next passage in your list there, Romans chapter 5, verses 3 and 4, which again lays out this similar progression, specifically talking about going through tribulations. Romans 5, 3, and not only so, but we glory in tribulations. If we stopped right there, we'd think, really, I mean, I know the Bible says it, I know we're supposed to, but I mean, not so much. I mean, really, come on, let's just get real. Glory in tribulations. No thanks. Uh, that's not something to rejoice in, is it? Well, it is if you enter into the sanctuary of God. It is if you understand the end, right? Because, so here we go, we glory in tribulations also. Why? Knowing tribulation actually does something for us. It helps to prepare us, y'all. It's the ministry of suffering. Tribulation worketh patience. And patience experience and experience hope. And hope makes not ashamed, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And so interestingly, back in Romans 15, we see through patience and comfort of the scriptures, we have hope. In Romans 5, we see tribulation works patience and then experience and then hope. So the comparison is, how do you gain your experiences in life to be able to minister? It's through the comfort of the scriptures. It's through the comfort of the scriptures. And if you're not spending time in the scriptures, 
Well, you'll be troubled. And if you're troubled, you're not going to be any good as a minister. I mean, how do you expect to gain valuable experiences in tribulation if you're not spending time in the Scriptures? And how do you expect to be prepared for ministry if you don't know how to gain the comfort of the Scriptures while you're going through tough times? This book on ministry, right out of the gate, clears off a space and helps you to understand that. So we had the living word and we had the written word and, well, we, it could also be the spoken word. It could all be the preached word, if, you, if you'd rather. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, where it compares the problem of people speaking in unknown tongues in the assembly and people coming in not having any clue what they're saying versus people prophesying or speaking the word of God understandably so everybody can understand it. 1 Corinthians 14, 3, But he that prophesieth speaketh unto men to edification and exhortation and comfort. A little further down in that chapter, verse 31, For ye may all prophesy, prophesy one by one, that all may learn and all may be comforted. Why? Because you are comforted by the Scriptures, whether they be written and you read them or whether they be spoken and you hear them. The promises of God are a comfort. They're a comfort that He'll never leave you, He'll never forsake you, that you're your salvation is secure, it's eternal, it's forever, that he'll, he'll always love you, he'll always be by your side, he's there to care for you, all over and over, even the things that you don't like are going to work together for good, even if they don't seem good today. These are the promises, these are God's word, these are the scriptures that the living word will teach to you through the written word, whether it be read or whether it be spoken. Let's go to number four, the Lord's companionship. The Lord's companionship. Well, that's the fellowship of the body. The fact that we have the Lord himself dwelling in us and the fact that we have his very soul in written form right in front of us, that should be enough, right? I mean, it should be enough. He loves you so much. He gives you even more. He gives you the fellowship of the saints. You know, there's plenty of times in our lives, and, and whether it's to our shame or not, it's just true. When you're really going through a hard time, you know you have the Lord. You don't doubt that. You know you have the Word of God. You don't doubt that. But sometimes you just need a brother or sister to come along and cry with you and give you a hug and sit down in the dust and ashes with you for seven days and just, and just love you and care for you and show you comfort, the comfort of the Lord's companionship of the body of Christ, the church. In Acts chapter 16, Paul and Silas are finally freed from prison. And it says in verse 40, They went out of the prison and entered into the house of Lydia. And when they had seen the brethren... They comforted them and departed. And those guys were splintered off and Paul and Silas are in jail and persecution's going down and here we're locked in the room praying and we don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. Oh my, what's going to happen? But when they got back together, they were comforted. I can't express to you how comforting it is to see you all here today. And I don't mean to diminish those who still yet can't quite gather with us physically. I understand that they need to do that. But isn't it a great comfort to you 
just to be back in the presence of the brothers and sisters together. Philippians chapter 2, speaking of unity of the family of God. If there be any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels and mercies, fulfill ye my joy that ye be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind, being unified together with the family of God. What a great comfort that is during times of trouble. Because sometimes we just need Jesus with flesh on. We just need it. A little further down in Philippians chapter 2 and verse 19, it says, But I trust in the Lord Jesus to send Timotheus shortly unto you, that I also may be of good comfort when I know your state. So Paul's a little troubled because he's separated from the Philippian church and he hears that it's going tough there. So he's going to send Timothy and Timothy's going to go check him out and report back as to what state they are in. Are they doing good or are they having a tough time? Which leads us to consider God's last version of comfort being offered, at least in today's message. Number five, the Lord's care, which is an issue of fathering. It's an issue of shepherding. Remember, he's referred to as the father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the father of mercies. Everybody's aware of the 23rd Psalm, right? Verse number four, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil, for thou art with me, thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. That shepherd's rod that drives away the wolves, that shepherd's staff that guides the sheep unto greener pastures. It's a comfort. It's a comfort. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse number 11. As ye know how we exhorted and comforted and charged every one of you as a father doth his children. It's a good Father's Day reference. What should a good father do? Well, he should exhort and comfort and charge his children. That's what a good father should do. And Paul cared for the church as a good father. He comforted them. He exhorted them. 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse number 2. And sent Timotheus, our brother and minister of God, and our fellow laborer in the gospel of Christ, to establish you and to comfort you concerning your faith. Not only do we have the body that we can all comfort one another, but we have leaders, we have those who are more mature in the faith, those that are fathers in the faith, those that are shepherds over us that God uses to give direction and comfort and protection and all these different things. So during times of insecurity or lack of faith, these godly leaders around us help us. They help to guide us to greener pastures and to comfort us when we need it. These are all things God provides for you. Why does he do it? He does it to prepare you. He does it to make you a better version of you, to prepare you personally. The sad reality is suffering is a necessary part of that. Personal suffering is a necessary portion of your preparation for ministry. You need to suffer so that you can receive God's comfort because God's comfort is required. For you then to be able to offer it to others who are suffering. 
just as others have offered it to you. So we'll get into that in just a minute. But let me just say this, especially to some of the more frequently younger Christians who are growing in their faith and excited, a lot of people like to dream about and pray about and desire to be used mightily by the Lord. I mean, really, who doesn't desire that? But I mean, face it, you must first be prepared for a work before you can actually reasonably expect to carry it out, right? So you can dream and pray and desire to do mighty things for God, and the Lord says, are you sure? Yes, I'm sure, and then your world starts to fall apart. You're like, whoa, 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 what, what went wrong here? No, everything's right on schedule. It's right on schedule. Just receive the comfort and be prepared for the greater things you desire. I guess we could say it this way. Praise the Lord and race for impact. <laughs> All right, go on to number two. These will move quicker. The next one is the proportion. The proportion. We saw the preparation. Verse 5, for as the sufferings of Christ abound in us, so our consolation also aboundeth by Christ. So last week we took a glance at 2 Corinthians chapter 11 and that long list of terrible things Paul endured and suffered in his ministry. But here it says that God comforts in direct proportion to your need. As the sufferings abound, so the consolation abounds. It's like a linear relationship. In other words, suffer a little, get a little comfort. Suffer a lot, get a lot of comfort. That's what this verse says. And I say that to encourage you. Remember, nothing happens in your life without God's approval. That's the book of Job. Nothing happens without God's approval. And God is just. He measures things out Fairly. You believe that? Remember Proverbs chapter 11 and verse number 1. A false balance is an abomination to the Lord, but a just weight is his delight. You can see it again in Deuteronomy 25, 13 to 16. The Lord says in the law, Thou shalt not have in thy bag diverse weights, a great and a small. Thou shalt not have in thine house diverse measures, a great and a small. But thou shalt have a perfect and just weight, a perfect and just measure shalt thou have, that thy days may be lengthened in the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee. For all that do such things, and all that do unrighteous, unrighteously, are an abomination unto the Lord thy God. The Lord doesn't like it when somebody in the marketplace lies, and, and you're going to weigh out a, a kilogram of tomatoes and he shaves the weight down so it's not really a full kilogram. It's, you know, it's 900 grams or something like that. You're like, what the heck is a kilogram? 2.2 pounds. Who cares? <laughs> You're cheating a man. You're weighing it out light. In other words, God is going to have a fair and a just weight, a fair and a just measure to the level to which you suffer is the level to which he will provide the comfort. That's what you need to get. Has God seen fit to allow you to suffer a lot lately? Have you felt like it's been your turn and it's been really hard? Can I tell you on the authority of Scripture, that means he has an equivalent measure of comfort available for you. 
and anybody who's actually ever gone through it and come out on the other end can testify. That's exactly how it works. In fact, it's such a powerful principle that Paul refers to it in Philippians 3.10. He says, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death. You see, this is an act of the Father of mercies. He's inviting you into more personal interaction, more personal fellowship with Him. And if you'll view it with that perspective, you'll end up knowing God better, more personally than the rest of us that live easy. And you'll be better prepared for your ultimate ministry. And that's point number three. It's the purpose. The purpose. Why do we need to be prepared? What is the purpose? Well, we're going to go back to verse number four for just a moment. And in the middle of verse number four, it says the purpose. That, for that, for the reason that, we may be able to comfort them which are in any trouble. God comforts us in all our tribulation for the purpose that, we may be able to comfort others who are in any trouble. So it should go without saying, I think, that the purpose of ministry is for others, right? The purpose of ministry is for others. I mean, by definition of the word ministry. That means that it's the means by which we serve as the body of Jesus Christ himself here on this earth. It's the target, it's the goal of Jesus Christ and his sufferings to reach other people eternally. And we are his hands and his feet. So that's our purpose. Now we see that laid out a little further in verse number six. And whether we be afflicted, it's for your consolation and salvation, which is effectual in the enduring of the same sufferings which we also suffer. Or whether we be comforted, it's for your consolation and salvation you see it doesn't really matter what happens to us anymore it doesn't matter whether i be comforted or i be afflicted whatever happens to me in the context of ministry and my purpose is for you it's for you but i don't have to worry because the purpose of you and your suffering and the things you're going through it's for me and around and around we go and that's how it works that's how god set it up Listen, the entirety of your life experiences, good, bad, pleasant, unpleasant, it's for others. It's not about you. It's never been about you. It's not about you. That's why Paul can write things like in 2 Corinthians 5, 15, that he died for all, that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. That's why he can write in Colossians 3, 3, for ye are dead and your life is hid with Christ in God. Your life's not your own anymore. You're bought with a price. And biblical ministry is not just preaching some truth and walking away. You've heard it said, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. And your life is a living testimony of that. So the ministry of suffering is really the ministry of offering comfort. I mean, we could call it the ministry of suffering. The truth is, Suffering is the necessary means by which we receive comfort to be able to then distribute comfort to others in need. Yeah. 
With this in mind, I just want to read quickly the list of ministry activities as they're listed in Romans chapter 12. So just follow along and notice that these are all various demonstrations of how we can show care and compassion for others. I'm going to start in verse 10 and go to the end of the chapter. Be kindly affectioned one to another with brotherly love and honor, preferring one another, not slothful in business, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing instant in prayer, distributing to the necessity of saints, given to hospitality. Bless them which, which persecute you, bless and curse not. Rejoice with them that do rejoice and weep with them that weep. Be of the same mind one toward another. Mind not high things, but condescend to men of low estate. Be not wise in your own conceits. Recompense to no man evil for evil. Provide things honest in the sight of all men. If it be possible, as much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves." But rather give place under wrath, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. Therefore, if thine enemy hunger, feed him. If he thirst, give him drink. For in so doing, thou shalt heap coals of fire on his head. Be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. Man, what a mouthful. And we're not going to expound on that. Just the idea, just all the ways and things and categories that we fulfill our purpose. There is a biblical example, just an embodiment of somebody who did this, and it's Barnabas. Barnabas is introduced to us in Acts chapter 4 and verse 36. It says, And Joseph, who by the apostles was surnamed Barnabas, which is, being interpreted, the son of consolation, there you go, a Levite and of the country of Cyprus. So Barnabas kind of had the nickname, the son of consolation. The son of consolation. So Barnabas embodied the idea of coming alongside people that are suffering, encouraging them, picking them back up, helping them restore strength after failure or loss or sorrow. Barnabas is the guy who's selected with Paul, then called Saul in Acts uh, chapter 13 to be sent out of the church of Antioch on the first missionary journey. So in Acts 13, 13, as they're going along their missionary journeys and they're meeting people and they're ministering to people. In verse 13 of chapter 13, we see a little bit of rebellion kick in. It says, Now when Paul and his company loosed from Paphos, they came to Perga in Pamphylia, and John, departing from them, returned to Jerusalem. John, who is surnamed Mark, became overwhelmed with the circumstances, felt like, this ain't going quite like I planned. This ministry thing ain't all it's cracked up to be. I'm out. And he left. So they finish their journey and they establish churches and they make their way back to Antioch. And eventually they're going to start their second missionary journey. But before they begin the second missionary journey, we see a conversation that goes on. Acts chapter 15, near the end of that chapter, starting in verse 36. And some days after Paul said unto Barnabas, let us go again and visit our brethren in every city where we have preached the word of the Lord and see how they do. And Barnabas determined to take with them John, whose surname was Mark. But Paul thought not good to take him with them who departed from them from Pamphylia and went not with them to the work. So you see some conflicting personalities here. Barnabas is like, let's give the kid another chance. And Paul's like, he's a quitter. No way. And the contention was so sharp between them 
that they departed asunder one from the other. And so Barnabas took Mark and sailed unto Cyprus. And Paul chose Silas and departed, being recommended by the brethren unto the grace of God. Now it's interesting when you do a study of the book of Acts, what you'll find is, is in the rest of the book of Acts, it's going to continue to follow the ministry of Paul and Silas and Timothy. And we hear no more about Barnabas. Why is that? Was Barnabas wrong in disputing with Paul? Well, I don't know if I know that for sure, but I do know this. 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse number 11, at the very end of Paul's life, he says this under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Only Luke is with me. Take Mark and bring him with thee, for he is profitable to me for the ministry. So maybe the comfort that Barnabas received after being rejected by Paul helped Mark get comfort after being rejected by Paul. One thing's for sure, Mark certainly learned how to be profitable for the ministry. We know that. And not surprisingly, the gospel of Mark, the gospel according to Mark, records Jesus Christ's life as a servant, a minister. The theme of the gospel that the Holy Spirit inspired through the human author, Mark presents Jesus Christ as a minister, a servant. I'd say Mark learned to receive God's comfort, thanks to Barnabas showing him comfort. And that's good news for you too, because our last point, and we're almost done, is number four, the projection. The projection is looking forward, verse number seven. And our hope of you is steadfast, knowing that as ye are partakers of the suffering, so shall ye be also of the consolation. Can I just remind you the biblical definition of the word hope? It is the assurance of a future event or state. It's the assurance of something yet future. Biblical hope is never like we use it colloquially. Biblical hope is not, is that going to happen? Well, I don't know, I hope so. The parents are thinking, you know, are the kids going back to school? Man, I hope so. <laughs> I'm not sure. I hope so. Man, you know. That's not biblical hope. Biblical hope is something's a 100% guarantee. It just hadn't happened yet. So I have hope. So again, I ask, are you going through it right now? The heat turned up in your life right now? Are you the partaker of the sufferings right now? Well, he says our hope of you is steadfast. Because we know that your future state will be consoled. That's what he says. Remember 1 Peter 5, 7? Casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. Casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. Remember Philippians 3.10 we looked at, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being made conformable unto his death. Well, just look at that progression and work it back this way. The fellowship of his sufferings. You suffer... You have fellowship with Jesus through that, which ultimately that suffering leads to being made conformable unto his death, which ultimately is a death of full surrender. Then and only then, after you fully surrender your life, you die to yourself. You get the power of his resurrection. New life, 
new start, new power, new knowledge of God personally. That's the projection. That's your future. That's what's out there. Even through the tough times, that's what's out there. I know it's sad, but too few ministers of Jesus Christ have actually suffered. Too many run from it. Too many avoid it. Well, let me say they've never suffered for righteousness' sake. Let me, let me make sure we clarify. Let me read to you what Peter said, 1 Peter 4, verse 12. Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you, as though some strange thing happened unto you. But rejoice inasmuch as ye are partakers of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory shall be revealed, in other words, the comfort that comes from the coming of the Lord, you may be glad also with exceeding joy. If ye be reproached for the name of Christ, happy are ye. For the spirit of glory and of God resteth upon you, and on their part he's evil spoken of, but on your part he's glorified. Y'all, I'm telling you, in the days and months and years ahead of us right now, the opportunities for this to play out in your life are going to be ever greater, ever greater, ever greater. Verse 15. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or a busybody in other men's matters. We'd have been okay if it didn't say that busybody thing. <laughs> Yet if any man suffer as a Christian, let him not be ashamed. But let him glorify God on this behalf. As a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ and of the grace of God and salvation... Do you know that if you have a message that you communicate from your mind, you'll reach other people's minds. But if you have a message you can communicate from your heart, you'll reach other people's hearts. But do you know that if you have a message that you communicate from your life, you'll reach other people's lives. And that's what the Lord wants to do in you. He wants to make you an able minister of the gospel. And you'll only be able to minister to the proportion that God has ministered to you. And your need will be in proportion to your personal suffering. That doesn't make you just enthusiastic, I know. But don't be afraid. You're not alone. God's right there with you. You're constantly being prepared for a lifetime of effective ministry, showing to others the comfort that God has shown to you. What we need to do is just surrender to it and let the Lord take his course and let him be glorified. Let's pray together. We're done. Lord Jesus, we are humbled when we find ourselves before this subject it's it's a hard subject it is and and i pray lord that as each of us considers ourselves before you that we will consider ourselves in the light of your scripture lord 